0: This is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of F.E. Church, and this is our podcast. All right, so bragging right number three. I said last week, but it's worth saying again, this is a unique series. <laughs> In my own spirit, and I think for this church, it's been a very... Unique series. This week, I sort of began to identify a sense of urgency in my spirit. There's a fire in my belly right now that I can't fully explain or quantify. I have this burning passion for evangelism and discipleship specifically. I want to see Freedom Valley function like the early church right now. That instead of worrying, So much about Sunday morning corporate gatherings that we would begin to look at our own life and work and entertainment rhythms. That we begin to look at the people in our lives and start to develop a real heart for them. We wouldn't be scared anymore of what people think or how they're going to judge us or making a fool of ourselves, but just empowered with the Holy Spirit to go out into our world And preach a clear, simple gospel message to each other. That we would love each other that much. If we really believed, deep down, that God is real, God is good, and that he loves us so much, he sent his son Jesus to save us from an eternal separation from him. How would that change things? We've really truly believed it with everything in us, right? Faith is, is that love, but also in action. It's belief, but in action. If we actually truly believed it and we don't tell people, what does that say about us? It's my prayer that we begin to see deep down that the people we spend our lives with, some of them, The people we spend our lives around, at work, our neighbors, our friends, our family, they may go to eternal suffering. Eternal. Eternity is a long time. And someday they may think, why didn't they tell me? Why didn't they tell me? There was another way. The early Christian church didn't seem to have this problem even through persecution, even though it was at its worst, I don't see this fear in them. I read through the book of Acts this week and a few other early church letters, and I just, I don't see that fear. Sure, they had other issues. The church always has issues because we're human. But I don't see this fear in them. In fact, we're going to read Stephen's story today. Stephen is famous in the word for having been stoned for his faith. But I wonder if we've really paid attention lately to how he was stoned for his faith, really his side of it. We often pay attention to the fact that Saul was there at his stoning and just what a radical transformation Saul to Paul was. Or, you know, the circumstances surrounding Stephen's death and what came after. But have we actually looked at how Stephen was throughout this whole encounter? So just a little background for those of you who haven't read this story in a while. Stephen was one of the ones that was picked to be a deacon in the church. Basically what that meant then was that he was a church volunteer. He helped pass out food to the widows in the congregation to distribute. Remember, the early church shared everything they had. And so there was some dissension, some fighting about uh, who got more food, which widows got more food. And so they picked some people, seven guys actually, to administrate the food program. So he wasn't a teacher. He wasn't one of the apostles, right, gifted with this ministry for teaching. He was just the guy that was passionate about Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's important to note for later. So Stephen is teaching out with the people one day. He's, he's praying over people. Miracles are happening. And, and a group of devout Jews show up. They can't stand what he's talking about, but they also can't stand against the wisdom that he's spitting. So they conspire to lie about him. They have some guys tell on him for blaspheming Moses and and God and the temple itself. A long story short, he's dragged in before the council, and they ask him if the accusations are true, and instead of defending himself, because of course it wasn't true, he wasn't blaspheming God, he wasn't blaspheming Moses or the temple, instead of defending himself, he launches into this Holy Spirit-filled long diatribe against very people he was talking to about the history of the nation of Israel, paying particular attention to its failures. <laughs> like, like the golden calf, for example, he points out to them, right? And, and now, and how they didn't pay attention when the actual Messiah was in front of them. How you all killed the Messiah, the very people that he's talking to. This is what he's saying to them. And, and let me just read a verse or two of this, the very ending of his Speech, Acts 7, verse 51 says, You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. (laughs) He goes hard here. Then even they even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. He doesn't mince words here, right? He doesn't hide the truth. He's certainly not hiding from persecution from them. He's standing up for truth. He doesn't build them up or stroke their egos or sort of kiss their rings right? He calls them out. And, and honestly, I think this is, where, this is right now where a lot of Christians are stopping in this story. I think we have something rising up in us that desperately wants to call out truth and, and call out things the way that they are. And, and, and I think a lot of Christians will stop here and just take away that message. Well, well Stephen did it even though he knew they were probably going to kill him for it. He stood up and he said the truth. Isn't that what we should be doing now, today? What I don't want to happen is for us to walk away from this and say, sweet, so Pastor Candace just said I should go and insult people. <laughs> Tear them up for not believing. That's, that's not the whole story. This is sort of a, but wait, there's more situation, okay? Acts 7 Verse 54, let's keep reading. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. This is the blaspheming that they were probably talking about. Although it wasn't, it was truth. Then they put their hands over their ears like two-year-olds. Oh, sorry, that part's not in there. They put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would become Paul later. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, I tear up every time I read this. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles who were scattered, through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. I know this is a heavy passage, and I know I've pretty much said that every week of this series. I feel like I've delivered heavy messages, and believe me, I've been feeling that in my own life as well, but this is the word of the Holy Spirit for this church right now. God is always delivering a right now word. He's always doing a brand new thing. In fact, this week, I really wrestled through, God, what do you have to say to us? today, right now, this weekend, what do you have to say to us? Because last Sunday, I felt like I had it. It Just even walking off the stage from a sermon I had just delivered, I thought, this is where I'm going next week. And by Monday, I was like, God, where was I going again? Because it doesn't seem so clear now. I was so sure yesterday. And the next day, I was unsure. And the next day, I was unsure. and, And it came to Thursday afternoon, and I'm panicking a little bit. And I'm tearing up the word. And I spent more time in prayer this week than probably most of the weeks before that combined. I was desperately seeking what God had for us. And then I came across Stephen's story. And it immediately came together. A couple of things specifically jumped out off the page at me. And I want to share those with you today. Number one, they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. These are religious scholars. These are men with positions, right? These are respectable gentlemen in the courthouse, basically. (laughs) I mean, they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. Denial does this to you. It it masks whatever maturity that you had, (laughs) covers it up. This is why the Bible says your sin will find you out. So at some point you start denying that it's even sin and you end up making a fool of yourself. You lose your ears to hear. Stephen had just delivered a powerful word from the Holy Spirit. A powerful I'm um, sort of meaning like Ouch, like a fire and brimstone message. He delivered it powerfully from the Holy Spirit. He went through the history of of Abraham and Moses, which should have spoke to them because they knew it as well as he did, but it didn't matter. They didn't listen. The ones with the power to change things didn't listen. The ones with the people's ear, the ones telling people what to think and believe, they weren't listening But as we see later in this passage, those kinds of people aren't the only kinds of people in the world. And actually, when when our leaders begin to, to close their ears and shout at us, we just have to turn our attention to the others that are out there in the world. It's not actually up to them. It's up to the God of heaven and earth. We don't give the gospel enough credit a lot of times. Maybe we've downplayed what it's done in our lives, or maybe we're not experiencing the full gospel and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, but we don't give it enough credit. Why did you come to Jesus? What has he changed in your life? What was it that drew you in? Do you not think that it could draw someone else to Do you not think your story might impact someone else on such a deep level that they are drawn in as well? Do you not care about them enough to present it? Give them that opportunity. Sure, some of them will put their hands over their ears and and shout at you. Some will want to put you in the stocks or, or in the dungeons and lock you away. Some will want to stone you, cancel you in our culture today which I think is something the church will have to deal with in the future. Maybe me personally. The cancel culture idea that they will want to silence you. They don't have ears to hear. Shouting at them and condemning them isn't particularly helpful. (laughs) Unless the Holy Spirit himself tells you to do it, as in Stephen's case, by the way. But you better be careful because you could Send someone else away from Jesus who could potentially have ears to hear. A lot of you are struggling right now. I've heard so many stories this week. Because you have a spouse or a child or a best friend who doesn't believe the gospel message on the same levels that you do. Or maybe not at all. Maybe no amount of shouting or reminding them of the past is going to help them. Maybe it's just going to cause them to dig in, put their hands over their ears, and shout at you. But we are not powerless in this life. We have the power of prayer on our side. We need to be praying for a world that has ears to hear. That when we speak, they would be able to hear it. Jesus said over and over throughout his ministry, right? Let those who have ears to hear, listen, and understand not everybody listened to Jesus either. The ones who had ears to hear, the ones who were willing to seek out the truth, the ones that were open-minded about what God had for them. They could listen and understand. We need to be praying that this world would have ears to hear. It's not like the truth isn't out there or hard to find. Right? There's Bibles in every hotel room. There's Uh, uh, hundreds of Bible translations for free in the palm of your hand. It's out there. We need to be praying that they have ears to hear it when presented with it. But the next thing I want you to notice is that Stephen was all, is not that Stephen was all shouting and no love. He he wasn't all condemnation and and passing judgment, his greatest weapon against the real enemy, which was not people wasn't condemnation at all. His greatest weapon was forgiveness. The second part of this passage that jumped out at me and left off the page was when he said, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Don't charge them with this sin. I had to read that 14 times all over again. Is this the kind of attitude that you're seeing from contemporary Christians right now? Is this the kind of attitude that you've displayed lately? Because this convicted me. I'm not even sure I can fully fathom this kind of forgiveness. And I thought I understood the gospel message, which is what Jesus did for us, that he forgave us even while hanging on that cross. But I think there's one thing to believe that Jesus, the son of... God who came for that purpose, that he did it. It's another thing to realize, Stephen did it. He was just a guy, a regular person. He wasn't even an apostle. He didn't have a gift of of teaching and speaking. He wasn't called to leadership. It was just a guy. He was helping us food distribute. He was a church volunteer, essentially, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he did it. Levels of forgiveness that I'm having a tough time understanding. But there is power in forgiveness, a power that we don't tap into nearly as often as we should because we think our enemies are people. Our enemies are not people, and we are not powerless against the real enemy, but our most powerful weapon is in the laying down of our lives, as we learned last week, not in the standing up and fighting. It's in the laying down. Because as we see here, standing up for truth doesn't usually convince people who don't have ears to hear. Didn't help those guys with their Robes on in a courtroom temple. It didn't help. The most powerful weapon against evil, not against people, against evil is forgiveness. Why do you think Jesus used it? <laughs> right? Don't get me wrong. I, I like I said, I, I feel like I struggle with this level of forgiveness. And not only did Stephen let go of personal potential revenge. But even sought to release God from it, right? Like, I think a lot of us say, you know, I, I'm not going to do, I'm choosing not to do revenge on the people that hurt me. But God, like, if you could, right? <laughs> like, I'm, a, I'm, revenge is the Lord's, um, I'm going to give it to God. He can handle it. And, and hopefully, you know, if you could like rain down fire on them, that'd be awesome. But I'm not going to do it. So that's forgiveness, right? <laughs> And even that attitude can sometimes come years after the issue. The trauma, the abuse, the perceived slight, or whatever. Years after we finally get ourselves to a place where we can forgive on more superficial levels. Stephen was all in. Not only releasing himself from revenge, but in the moment of his death while they were literally murdering him for no good reason. He was even asking God to forgive them. Talk about reckless love. Talk about radical faith. Uh, This is a guy who truly believes and follows Jesus Christ, Christ, even unto death, which is a remarkable level all on its own. But not only followed him to death, he followed him to forgiveness in death. Can you fathom that level of forgiveness? A guy who truly believes that Jesus has forgiven him of so much that he can forgive this. I talk with so many week in and week out that are unsure about how to go about witnessing like they don't feel totally worthy. Right? They've made mistakes. They've, they've messed up. They're, they're not fully seeing it that even that, even your mistakes are a testimony to Jesus' forgiveness. Where you went wrong in the past and how God has delivered you through that is a testimony. That we can, each and every one of us, and this is unique to Christianity, we can, each and every one of us, no matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter how many sermons we've delivered, we can look each other in the eye and say, God accepts me. Me. I'm not perfect either. And he can accept you too. what have you been forgiven of? That is your testimony. What have you been called out of? that is your witnessing story. And a witness is just that, right? Uh, it's a uh, witness to the things you have seen and heard and experienced yourself. The word says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. It does not say you will be my theologians. You will be my creation scientists. You will be the rememberers of every sermon you've ever heard. It doesn't say that. You will be my witnesses. It doesn't say you will understand everything and that's what will make you great evangelists. It says witnesses. Just tell about the things you have seen and heard. It's also not your job to condemn the world. Convict them. Tell them all the things they're doing wrong. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Why do we feel like it's our job anyway? Why why do we expect the world not to act like the world? They're lost. They're in darkness, stumbling around in the dark, looking for some sliver of hope and truth. And the worst part is they don't even know it. Why are we going to throw it in their faces? Condemn them. I prayed with a woman last week whose main hurdle to coming to Jesus was that Christians have been so awful to her. That doesn't break your heart. We were truly following our Savior. It laid us straight to the cross. Where we laid down our lives for others. Where we realize it's not us versus them. We are them. We've been forgiven of so much. I heard another story. This week, and she's probably listening right now, so I won't say her name because I didn't ask permission, but when she was young, their family moved to a new town, and there was a church right down the street, and to be good Christians, of course, they sent a delegate out to welcome them to the neighborhood, but they made sure to also say, but if you come, you have to sit in the back because you probably don't own a suit, and you know, we have to maintain standards. At our church. <sighs> that dad didn't go to church for thirty years. Hated Christians. If we were truly following our Savior, it would lead us straight to the cross, straight to laying down our lives for the sake of others, straight to kindness, grace, and forgiveness. Don't charge them with this sin. Not only did Stephen call them out. Religious people, by the way, not sinners. He called out religious Jewish men who were in power. There's a difference. But he also forgave them in his last and final moments during persecution. During being murdered for his faith. But watch what happens after. Not only did Stephen die for just preaching the gospel, but watch what happened after. Did you hear it? But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Did you notice who wasn't scattered? Let me go back up. Which verse was it? A great wave, verse 8, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the nations, through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And yet, verse 4 says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. The apostles weren't scattered. The guys specifically devoted and gifted to preaching and teaching weren't the ones who got scattered, and yet... The gospel spread like wildfire in persecution, wherever they went. Do you think that would happen with today's believers? (laughs) I I would like to hope so. But 90% of the believers I talk to have no idea how to share their faith, much less preach the gospel. That, That very term, preaching the gospel, terrifies us. what what does it even mean, right? We don't fully, we haven't dived in fully enough to fully understand our faith, much less present it to someone else. If Freedom Valley got scattered today, if we were canceled, if we had vandalism happening to the church and we had to literally run for our lives, like the early church, they were coming into our homes and hunting us down and we had to move. Would the gospel follow us? There is a fierceness that comes with persecution. Not just for the apostles, the guys specifically gifted to preach and teach, but for believers. There is a fierceness, and intensity that makes you want to get the message to everyone and anyone that you possibly can in the time that you have left. It makes you feel like everything should be about the message. Everything. Everything. So much so that you'll sell all of your belongings and give it to the church. Share everything you have with other believers because it's all about the gospel. Conversely, there's also a complacency that comes with comfort. Complacency that comes with comfort. At the beginning of this year, God gave me a word for 2020. And some of you will remember this. I think I shared it in the first series of this year, but I felt like that word was fierce. At the time, it terrified me. Still does a little bit, maybe. I remember having this sense of foreboding like, uh, God, what else could I possibly have to wrestle through? But if you remember, my family had just gone through a very long trial, like October, and my husband got the kidney transplant. We thought, oh, finally, maybe we can take a deep breath here and focus on what God has for us. And then God said, fierce. And I was like, hmm. God, am I not fierce enough already? Like, boy, I had no idea what 2020 was going to bring, not just for me, but for everyone. And now, finally, I'm getting this picture from God that it's not just fierce, it's not going to just be an attitude shift for me, but a spiritual shift for Freedom Valley. We're going to become menacingly wild in our evangelism. Savage in our love and forgiveness. Hostile toward the religious spirits that oppose the gospel. And furiously eager to see new souls saved. These are actual dictionary definitions of the word fierce that I had to look up. And they all sound terrifying. (laughs) I think it's a shift from being on the defensive as Christians to going offensive. I think we have to focus outward like never before that each and every one of us, it's not just gonna be a, hey, come to my church and let my pastor present the gospel anymore. It's gonna be come to my dining room table and let me tell you about Jesus. Let's study the Bible together. Let's get baptized in the Holy Spirit around our dining room tables. I'll baptize you in Jesus' name in my bathtub. It's each and every one of us being menacingly wild in our evangelism. Menacingly wild. I feel like Johannes Amritsar would love that description. (laughs) Menacingly wild. The Holy Spirit cannot be tamed or quenched. That it would go out menacingly to the enemy. Wild. There's a series we did years ago called Wild Goose Chase. That was the term the early Christians used to describe the Holy Spirit. It was, it was like a wild goose it was chasing a wild goose. Menacingly wild in our evangelism. Savage in our love and forgiveness. Just like Stephen, that reckless love idea. It, it, God's love does not look out for its own interests, but in the interests of others. Savage in our love and forgiveness. Hostile toward the religious spirits that oppose the gospel. I'm furiously eager to see new souls saved. Next week, Jason's going to bring you the last of our bragging rights series. But after that, we're going into a series called Fierce. These are the topics to cover. Buckle up. Menacingly wild. In our evangelism, savage in our love and forgiveness, hostile toward the religious spirits that oppose the gospel, and furiously eager to see new souls saved. And I know some of you are shaking in your boots right now. Uh, Candace, I'm not a uh, preacher, right? Like you're, I can feel you backing away from the screen <laughs> right now. I'm not a preacher, and you're talking about Stephen. He was stoned, for goodness sake. Is that what we're talking about here? I hope not. But I'm asking for the same spirit. The same spirit. A deep, that the deep fire burning in my belly right now would be transferred a little bit to you. That there would be an unsettling need to see others come to Christ in each one of your lives. And that the Holy Spirit would teach you how to do it as we go. I, I want to see backyard and bathtub baptisms, not by me, by you. I, I want to see you leading others, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, at your dining room table. See you leading others to Christ in your homes. This isn't about the apostles' preaching. It's not about my preaching and what the institution of the church does or does not do. This is about you. And here's the thing. Can can I just get practical for a second? As an evangelist of the gospel, you do not have to know everything. But you do always have to be learning. There is a hunger that always comes in tandem with the Holy Spirit. You would think having the Holy Spirit living inside of you would mean you would have everything that you need all of the time. But just like Jesus, we're also human. There is a hunger that it comes with the Holy Spirit. We just have to go deeper. It pulls us into knowing more, understanding more, getting revelations on our own from God himself. And by the way, I've heard so many of these stories this week too. I'm not the only one with this urgency and hunger Fire in my belly. Five or six of you this week either messaged me or called me or talked to me about your own passion right now, that something is changing in your spirit. That is revival. It doesn't have to be um, churches bursting with people and these crazy altar call moments. Revival happens in our spirits, in each and every one of us. The early church wasn't meeting in the temple. The early church was meeting in homes, loving each other, building families together, talking about what God was doing in their lives, and then preaching the good news powerfully. But you don't have to know everything. You just have to be hungry, willing to learn, grow, and see more people understand the gospel. Most American non believers will have a problem with one of these three statements. I said them earlier and I'm going to say them again. God is real. God is good. God loves you so much. They will have a problem with one of those. We are still a Christian culture in many ways, in that they have a concept of God being one God, right? God is real. God is good. God loves them so much. We're out having conversations with people, arguing about things that don't need to be argued. This is the basis for the gospel. God is real. God is good. And he loves you so much. We don't need to tackle all of them most of the time. There there are really, most people only have a problem with one and they sort of build on each other. Once you figure out which one that is, you can speak to it. For example, the conversation I had with somebody last week. She said, "Christians, just have given, they've treated me terribly. I, I just couldn't. Like you guys are the only ones I've ever encountered that are fun and kind, and that I've actually enjoyed being around." She had a, not a problem with God is real or God is good. Her problem was that He loves you so much because what was modeled to her throughout her life was that Christians don't love her. And so I must not be good enough for God. I've messed up too much. I've done too many things that if they don't accept me, God must not either. And so I figured that out and I got to speak to that, right? God loves you so much. He sent his son before you even messed up. 2,000 years ago, he sent his son for you. I don't deserve to be here either. Flames should up this comment comment people get when they come into the church for the first time that, that, that flames are going to rain down from heaven if I go through the doors, right? They should when I come in the doors too. God's grace is sufficient. He came, Jesus came because He loves you so much. Right? And if you can start speaking to them about that, or, or maybe they have a problem with God, they, they understand that God is real, it's the God is good part. And you'll hear things come out like like, you know, but why are there bad things happening in the world? Why do why do children die and, and they're starving around the world? I have a problem with that. Sure, God might be real, but is he really good? And you can start speaking to that and how sin came into the world at creation. Right? That the world was good and, and it was there for us. And, and we got to live as one with it and with God. But we brought selfishness in. And because we were given dominion over this world, the selfishness permeated, not just humans, but the world. That we now see the ripple effects of that, that it is evil and selfish. Even nature turned to be that way, right? And it's just a, a wild, untamed world right now. God wants it that way for whatever reason, but that's not the end of the story, that there is a hope of a perfect eternity in God's presence right? That he doesn't want the evil happening in the world. We're meant to overcome it. It's our job to overcome it. The evil isn't out there somewhere. It's in here. God is so good. He sent his son to die for us. You see how you can pull it all back to the gospel. Maybe they have a problem with number one, that God is real. And you can start to point them toward the magic of the universe, that, that the there is incredible detail in just something as small as a leaf or a blade of grass, right? And that every design has a designer. You can't have a, t- a table like this, for instance, without a designer. Somebody made the plastic glass, whatever this is, in a circle just like this, right? That, that they put this, to, they had an idea in their brain and then they made it, into what this is and they put it on a pedestal and they made the metal, right? They had the idea in their mind, the designer, and then they designed it and it exists now because somebody did that. Don't you think the universe is the same way? The intricacy and in how everything works together that every in every piece of creation there is a plan, right? God made things to clean up after other things and it all works in perfect harmony. God is real. God is good, and he loves you so much. You don't have to convince them and and be pushy and weird. No one's asking for that. Jesus wasn't weird. He fit in with people. He was different. He, He wasn't of the world. He spoke differently. He drew people in by the way that he spoke, but he fit in. He looked just like everyone else. He went to the parties with them. They had to pay someone to point him out because he blended in. You don't have to be pushy and weird, set apart in that way. You're called to be set apart spiritually. Called to be of different stuff in the world, but not of it. You just have to witness to what you have seen and heard. Let God do the rest. Stephen's story It's not just one of sacrifice and and martyrdom. It's one of radical forgiveness. Jesus' forgiveness. A reckless love that doesn't look out for any of its own interests, but the interests of others. Would we be able to show that kind of love if one of us was stoned in the streets? A year ago, that Even that idea may have seemed so far off and impossible. It's funny how it doesn't today, though. Would we be able to show that kind of faith? Would we be able to spread the gospel wherever we go, even if we're hunted, persecuted, and scattered? Lately, I hear a lot of crying about what we can't do as Christians but very little people doing what we can do. We can evangelize. We can have people into our homes and share the love of Jesus with them. We can have Bible studies around our own dining room tables. We can pray like never before. Go deeper into prayer. We can pursue the Holy Spirit with everything in us. That's the job right now. God is calling us to a new fierceness in evangelism. Not for our sakes, but for the sake of those around us. A new fierceness in our pursuit of Jesus and in our passion for the Holy Spirit. It's my prayer right now that we would not brag in in our own abilities, in our own rights, in our own opinions and, and freedoms, but that when we get back together, we'll be sharing miracle stories we'll be bragging on what the Holy Spirit has done in each and every one of our homes while we were apart we'll be bragging about Holy Spirit baptism stories and backyard baptism stories that that we'll be sharing about how we shared salvation with someone on a street corner or on lunch break at work that we'd be bragging about what Jesus is doing in our lives and through our lives it's the only bragging rights that matter God, give the people we come into contact with ears to hear. Help them open up their minds, their understandings to who you are. Breathe life, faith into them. And give us, God, a supernatural ability to forgive and to love and to spread the gospel everywhere we go. Give us new depths of understanding about what the gospel means in our lives and what it can mean in the lives of others. Give us a picture of what the people around us could be with you living inside them. Help us tell a hurting and broken world, God is real, God is good and he loves us so much. He sent his son. Holy Spirit, come. Baptize us all over again with fire. Give each and every one of us a burning desire to get closer to you, to hear your voice more clearly than ever before, to pray dangerous prayers, like break our hearts for what breaks yours. Use me. Use me, even if it means the laying down of of my life, my, my freedoms, my privileges. Use me. Show me. Who has ears to hear in my world? God, make us the vibrant, passionate, selfless church you've called us to be that we would truly spread the gospel to the ends of the earth each and every one of us individually and corporately today if you'd like to make a decision to follow Jesus if you'd like the freedom that comes with the life in him, the hope of eternity with our Father God who loves us so much. All you have to do is call on the name of Jesus to understand that he came to die on that cross so that you wouldn't have to pay for your sins. That you could be washed clean of all the selfishness. Everything that comes between you and God. You could enter into a right relationship with your heavenly Father you would be able to discover your purpose and the plan for your life. Walk that out in freedom, knowing that nothing can hold you back. A powerful Jesus disciple. If you want to do that today, it takes calling on the name of the Lord and asking Him to be the Lord of your life. It means giving up your own opinions and rights and freedoms and truly asking Jesus be the Lord the, the leader of your life do it today it's never been so easy say Jesus I believe you came to die for me I believe in the forgiveness that you're offering I accept it in my life and I choose today to live my life for you from here on out it'll be the best decision you ever made if you prayed that prayer today for the first time, it's your spiritual birthday today. You are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You've entered into a brand new life with him. And we would love to help you with that. Text the number on the screen or go to fe.church I am in. You can get all the resources we have for you there, a, a Bible plan to teach you more and take you deeper. And I would love to help you with that love to help you with that. Freedom Valley, it just speaks to you for one more moment. There is a fire brewing in us. Don't miss it. Tap into it. It is available to each and every one of you. It always has been. But there is an urgency right now. I hope to pass through the screen to you a little bit. Dig in right now holy spirit wants to use you like never before not just to say hey come to my church it's awesome and we ride motorcycles in the sanctuary and we play arm wrestling on father's Day. like not about the church it's about your relationship with jesus we need to get back to a pure simple gospel message why did you come to jesus what drew you in what has he changed in your life that's your story and it should be on the tip of your tongue at any given moment. The Bible says, always be ready with an answer. You're always looking for that opportunity, not to be pushy and manipulative and weird, just to love people, to tell them about what God has done in their life, to present them with an opportunity. God loves them so much. I want a little bit of that love. I want to see the world the way that he sees it. That is my prayer for you as well, that we would not brag about how cool the church is and and, although we're grateful for it, don't get me wrong, but that it would come back to a simple, pure, urgent, burning gospel message. That we would see miracles breaking out among us, baptisms in the Holy Spirit that God would be using each and every one of you, that soon my inbox will be flooded with pictures and stories of you doing this at home, that i just be able to celebrate with you, cheer you on, get excited with you, and give you resources to get more of that done. This isn't about how good the preaching is or or how many people are at altar calls here, it's about you, the fire that God wants to instill in your heart, the purpose and plan that he has for your life, to affect eternity forever. God, we just pray for more of that. Pray for your Holy Spirit to fall in each and every person that can hear my voice right now. That the Holy Spirit would just fall. Convict where you need to convict. Give us passion where we need passion transform our lives from the inside out. Transform our our thinking, our mindsets, our, our attitudes, our opinions. Let us be willing to fully surrender. Leave fear behind. Just surrender. Being the vibrant, passionate, selfless disciples you've called us to be. Let us brag about you, Jesus, and nothing else. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to in, And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.
1: A few years back, Candace launched a women's ministry and entitled it Bold and Brave. And I remember talking to young girls about how they should go to that group because those words were so emblematic of what they needed. But they said, I'm not bold. I'm not brave. The point is, become it. And now calling us to a new level with fierce faith. Following a leader who is always going to call us to the next level. That's what being a Christian is. Jesus always called us up. He always looked at his disciples and told them what the next step was. And our Father in heaven is exactly the same way. Live your faith fiercely. What a word. I'm going to ask if this, this word impacted you the way I know it did me. Would you shoot Candace a message this week, thanking her for throughout this season, not allowing herself to slink back or to operate in fear, not writing words that are easy and encouraging, but calling us to be Christians who live our faith fiercely. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, like Candace said, go to fv.church forward slash I am in. Let somebody know If you've been a believer for years and you're being challenged in a new way, take some time today. Identify that so that you can exercise it. Find the thing you're afraid of and live fiercely in that direction. Take some time. Identify that before you go throughout your day. I want to pray to seal this word and thank God for this time before we move on from this place. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word, this time of worship, this ability to gather together in our homes all over this county. And I ask God that wherever we are right now, we would feel your presence knowing that you are calling us up to live our faith fiercely, to be bold in our declaration of your goodness, your greatness, and your love. Thank you for forgiving us and calling us into a new place. Let us go there together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. FV Church, thanks so much for worshiping. Until we see you soon, keep growing in your faith.